I want to thank you uh, for helping us to go to Israel. It was a, a trip that had been the only thing on my bucket list for many, many years. I prayed for this trip. Uh, we had a lot invested in it. And it was uh, something I dreamed about. So I, I prayed a lot about it and uh, wanted to go with a great Bible teacher and go at the right exact time. But by trying to find the right Bible teacher and the right exact time, I, I left it to the end. And so when I finally figured out I couldn't get a good Bible teacher, the right Bible teacher, uh, I had to settle for whatever and whatever time. And so we went in the middle of summer, which they say is the worst time uh, to go there. Uh, this is uh, Marcia and I at the Jordan River. Now that might... It might be kind of cool for you that it's a Jordan River, but one of the things you might notice is there's nobody else in the picture but us. <laughs> and that's a good thing because this is that parking lot for the Jordan River, and there is usually a line of tour buses trying to park out there. If you notice, there's not one tour bus other than ours, which is parked off to the left. Nobody was there. If you, if I can convince you to go to Israel, I would ask that you would go in the summertime. Uh, the, the tour was great. Uh, I am happy we did it. I no longer have a pit in my stomach. We talked yesterday that it, it seems like the tour gets better uh, every day as we, as we think about it. We were very busy. It's a pilgrimage, not a vacation. We were tired, uh, but uh, well worth it if anybody... Uh, ever thought about going, I would encourage you to go in the summertime. Uh, it, you would not, you will not be sorry. One of the things that went uh, there, uh, one of the reasons I want to go there was because I, culture. Uh, I wanted to learn as much culture as I sh- could. And uh, as I said, I prayed about this, uh, this uh, trip. And we went at the wrong time, but actually became the right time. And then I didn't get a Bible teaching. He was an American that had been over there for, I think, about 20 years, married a Moroccan Jew, lived in Jerusalem. He was the perfect person to teach, to, to have a tour with for me because he came out of a culture into a new culture and he's adjusting so he knows all those cultural things, whereas somebody that's in a culture, they have a hard time explaining them or, or seeing them. He saw them and, and he shared with us a ton of culture. And, and culture is important, and, and we all and, and we all have it. We have, uh, you know, there's a church culture, there's a work culture. Uh, so, uh, it, you know, culture was a big deal to me. I think some of it is because I was with Ethnos 360, and in Ethnos 360, we understand you cannot separate language from culture. Language and culture go together. There are actually Bible programs where you can go in and plug things in. Nouns, verbs, all the, whatever you find, and the, it can figure out the language. And they actually have computers that can produce a Bible uh, with, some, with uh, some input uh, of the language. People don't use it. Tribal people don't like it because it doesn't have, it doesn't, it didn't come through culture. It takes time uh, to learn uh, culture. And, uh, so as I know that, as a, it was a tenet of mine that, that you had to understand culture, I'm studying scripture, right? I'm studying scripture. I come to a place that says, oh, I don't understand what that word is. So you know what I did? I get a lexicon and I go, oh, that Jewish word means this. Guess what? I don't know that culture. 
I was doing exactly what I had learned you shouldn't do. I was, I was taking, oh, I'm just taking language without, without culture. And so understanding culture can make a big, uh, a big change. Uh, in how you interpret something, how you look at something. I'm going to talk about that. Uh, I'm going to give some examples of that. Uh, I think one I saw here about three months ago, I was, it's one I've used in marriages uh, a number of times. It's Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I've used that and, uh, and, and expounded on it. But when you think about it, it's, it's kind of crazy uh, at least in our culture. Our culture, uh, there's a saying, if, if your son marries, you lose a son. If your daughter marries, you gain a son. You ever heard that one? It, it seems like uh, if, if your son marries, he's gone. He's gone. And that's kind of what our culture is. didn't used to always be that way. And in most of the world, it's still not that way. When a son marries, he takes over his, his father's uh, occupation. And for the Jew, he moved in with his family. And so, if you understand culture, you can understand why it says to the man, hey, you need to leave, not physically, but emotionally and loyalty-wise. You need to leave your, 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 your parents and cling to your wife. You can imagine if you lived right, right next door and, uh, uh, and, and had, uh, had that, the mother would, would tend to still want to, to uh, you know, control the son. So I mean a little a little bit of culture, right? The, we on the on the trip we saw this. These are called ossuaries. I never even heard of ossuaries. Maybe you haven't either. Uh, what happens in a Jewish funeral and it's it's happen, or burial? It it continues to happen today, and it happened in Christ's day. Is the body is laid out in a tomb? It lays there for months, maybe over a year, until it decomposes. Only thing left is bones. And then they take the bones, special people come in and take the bones, break them up into a certain way, and put them in boxes. Those are ossuaries, ossuaries. It didn't take me very long when I heard that when I got home to do a little bit of research and find out that a Jew has two burials. They're buried first time with a cloth like Christ was, then maybe a year later, they come back and rebury them. And that made a difference to me as I, as I looked at this passage in Matthew. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go bury my father. Now, I've always heard people say, well, you know, he's waiting for his father to die or whatever. It makes a whole lot more sense where he's thinking, I'm waiting for him to decompose. Because it seems a little bit cold for Christ to say, hey, listen, <laughs> you know, your dad died. You know, hey, just... Come with me and be a disciple. There's no mourning time. No, it's it seems like probably culturally this is this is probably uh, what they're talking about. Another thing, you know, another cultural thing is we. You ever heard the sixth, like the sixth hour to the ninth hour, or whatever? And uh, all we ask is, okay, where do they start counting the hours? Right? Where where does they where do they start? Do they start at six? Do they start at noon? And that's how we we like. Oh, that's how we figure out. What the time is, and that's that's somewhat accurate, but not it's. But we never questioned the word hour. They didn't have watches, so what they would do is they would divide sunrise and sunset into twelve places. Now, that works out pretty good sometimes, but in the winter in Michigan, 
oh, hours would be 40 minutes. In the summertime, it's 80 minutes. See how we can just assume, okay, an hour is going to be this or an hour is going to be that. But culturally, no, that, that's, not, that's not the way it is. And, uh, and so uh, this is kind of a cultural journey I've been, I've been kind of on. And, and I was listening to one of my favorite pastors, Di, uh, Di, uh, Pastor uh, Pawson, David Pawson. He's, he's English and, and old now, but I've listened to him over the years. And he, he, he knows Greek and Hebrew. He's a phenomenal teacher. I don't agree with everything, but uh, solid on the gospel. And, and he was talking about one time preaching at a church, and there was a Jewish lady in there. And after the service, she came up and talked to him about the service. And she said, is this true about Christ raising from the dead? And he was talking about it. She said, then he is the Messiah. She became a Christian right then. He said, ten minutes later, she was teaching me. Ten minutes later, she was teaching me. How could she teach him? He knew Greek and Hebrew. She knew culture. And she had rabbinical teaching all those years where they are wrapped up and they see things in the, in the Old Testament. Remember, the Old Testament is three-quarters of Scripture, and it's Hebrew, and it's wrapped around culture. So what I want to do today, and I'm going to finish on time, is uh, I'm going to talk to you about a, a passage. It's a small passage. It won't take long. And uh, just to talk to you a little bit about culture. Let me show you where culture kind of enhances something. Uh, and this is an ab- abs- kind of a, a verse, a verse, some verses you never thought of. Uh, this, the, a little bit of background on this. Remember, Joseph was Jacob's son. He was the 11th son. He is, his brothers are jealous. They sell him into slavery down to Egypt. And uh, he's down there. And uh, eventually his whole family ends up down there. And, uh, and uh, he is, he's very important he has a great job, second only to Pharaoh. And as he's, as he's there, towards the end, of his, his dad comes as well. And it's as the end of his life, he, he says this. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Now if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt. But let me lie with my fathers, and you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he says, I will do as you have said. Then he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. So we have this, this, uh, this passage here. And, uh, and, and the question is, <laughs> he said, I'll do it. Why does he make him swear? Uh, and, and the reason is there's a struggle between two worldviews. Understand that the Israelites are monotheistic. They believe in, in one God, Jehovah. And the, the Egyptians are polytheistic. They believe in, in many gods. And each realm of nature has its own deity, if you will. And that, and, and so whatever, you know, interests you, if you're a farmer, you might want to put, you know, the, you know, sun god up there, and you might want to put the fertility god, and you might want to put the rain god. You might ha- want to have those on, in your pantheon. And so there's, there's a struggle here between the, the polytheistic and the mono, monotheistic. One god versus the many gods. Now this plays out many years later again. And uh, we don't have time to do it. But in the remember the ten plagues, 
You remember the ten plagues? Yeah, all right. I got one nod. Okay, so somebody is awake. So, so, so there's ten plagues. You know, the pl- there's, there's one, the end plague, the last plague has a big impact, right? But the other plague that had a huge impact, nobody ever notices. But if you read scripture, you'll see it, is the seventh plague. The seventh plague makes a huge impact on Pharaoh. It is the plague of ice and fire. Because it has two deities, two of their deities, working in concert. Ice and fire. They don't work in concert. Ice and fire are are two deities that are far apart. You don't see them together. So when Pharaoh sees that there's ice and fire coming down, guess what he says? I have sinned. I have sinned. Never says that before. Your God is holy. Your God is holy. See, if you have many gods, they're not holy. They're capricious. They, they, they do what they want, right? But when you have one God, one God, then you can sin against that God. He said, I've, I've sinned uh, against that God. So we have these, these uh, two cultures uh, coming into play. And Jacob is, is, wants to make sure that Joseph, that Joseph is going to choose the right culture. Swear to me that you'll bury me because the Egyptians wouldn't bury him. They'd embalm him and put him in a tomb. They would not bury him. For the Egyptians, the idea of burying in the ground was an abomination. For the, for the Jew... It's from dust I came, from dust I will go. And so they, they had a high opinion of God, low opinion of man. Egyptians had a high opinion, opinion of man and low opinion of God. So uh, he's making Joseph choose between two worldviews. The monotheistic worldview and the polytheistic worldview. Now, never sh- we never see that Jacob ever or Joseph ever wanders. Okay, but Jacob wonders about his loyalty, not only to maybe so much that, but the loyalty to the promised land. Take me back so I can be buried there. Now, so that was swear to me. Look at the other odd thing. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. Now, is that one strange, strange thing to say? He bowed himself. That's, and Israel is Jacob. Jacob bowed himself on the head of the bed. If you look in a, in a, uh, a dictionary, a biblical dictionary, if you look in lexicons, and you'll get the, the, the word bed here is the word mita. Okay? It means bed. But from Jewish culture, it means more. It's his legacy. It's, his, it's where his children came from. If I can be so bold as to say. It's his, he's bow, Jacob's bowing to his legacy. In other words, I have done what I can for my legacy. Because my legacy is, goes back to the promised land. But why would he question Joseph? Why does he have this, this issue? Let me show you why he might have uh, this issue. Uh, for one thing, <laughs> and, and you, can, you probably have this question. Remember Joseph's thrown into, you know, you know he's, he's a slave, and then he's finally in jail. And uh, he gets out of jail, and he's the second in the kingdom. He's out of the jail for, for uh, seven years. And, uh, and, and his brothers come down. In seven years, he never writes a note back to his dad. He never says, hey, I'm down here, I'm alive. 
Don't you think he could write something? Don't you think he could tell somebody? The Bedouins are still today making that trip. Couldn't he have somehow let his dad know, hey, I'm alive down here? But he doesn't. He doesn't let him know he's alive. And the question comes up, why didn't he let his dad know he's alive? Let me give you a possibility. Let's go over and see what happened to Joseph. Joseph tells his dream to his family, and he's rebuked. Joseph says, hey, I had a dream. Everybody's bowing down to me. And his dad rebuked him, even his brothers. After that, right after that, Joseph is sent away by Jacob. Go see your brothers. Go check on them. He comes to his brothers. They stripped him of his clothes, and he's thrown into a pit. Now, Joseph, Joseph has, we know, for us, as, as we're getting this picture, we know that Joseph's dad, Jacob, is, is in anguish because he thinks his son is dead. But Joseph doesn't know that. Joseph does know some things about his dad. His dad went out of his way to be the number one. He went out of his way to get the birthright and the blessing. We know he was sneaky. We know that uh, in the past, God has put people away. He put Hagar and Ishmael away, sent them away. He, he knows that. And I'm not saying that he, he actually is, says this for sure, but he had to be thinking about this as he's down there in Egypt. He knows his history of Jacob. So, if his, if his thinking's like that, Let's look at what happens. That's on one hand. On the other hand, Joseph's taken out of the pit by the Egyptians. By the way, it says pit. It goes out of its way to say pit. It uses a word for prison earlier, but here it says Joseph is taken out of the pit. Joseph's given new clothes by the Egyptians. Joseph's brought to Pharaoh, sent away by his dad. Joseph interprets a dream, and Pharaoh rewards him. So you can, you can see from, from Joseph's perspective how loyalty might, be, might change here. This is what my family did to me. This is what the Egyptians have done for me. And if, if, you, look, if, if you look at what... He names his son. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. I forgot all I, this. I, I I forgot them. I forgot the. I forgot all I went through and all my father's house. Fact is, it says that that Pharaoh gave him a new name. You and I are going to get a new name in Revelation three twelve. It says we get a new name. Uh, but he gets a different name. He gets a, a, a new beginning. And uh, so he calls the name of his son Manasseh. God has made me forget all my toil, all my father's house. Now, if you remember the story, the, the, there's going to be a famine in land. For seven years they, they, uh, they store up food. And, and then for seven years they're going to use that stored up food to, to meet their needs. And, and things are bad back in the promised land, Canaan land too. And so finally Jacob sends his sons down there to get some food. And it starts an interaction with, with their brother that they don't recognize. 
And he doesn't tell them who, who, who he is. And, and that's, that's a long drawn out thing that we, we would look at. But he has, he has conversations with his brothers and yet he never, he never reveals the fact that he is their brother until, until he wants to keep Benjamin and Judah talks to him and says this. But we said, we can, this is Judah speaking. But we said, is, we cannot go down for our youngest brother is with us. Then we will go down for we uh, may not see the man's face unless our younger brother is with us. He's telling, the, telling Joseph about talking to his dad. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. And the one went out from me and I said, surely he has torn to pieces and I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. This is the first time that Joseph finds out that his dad didn't know that he was sold into slavery. He thought he was dead. And it is right after that where, uh, where finally he reveals himself to his brothers. Right after that confession, hey, our dad didn't know. He was in anguish. Uh, doesn't question his role anymore. Now, for Jacob's, in Jacob's uh, uh, realm, uh, he finds out Joseph's alive. He's down in Egypt. Now, could Joseph have taken care of his family up in the promised land? Could he have sent people up with stuff? He could have. His brothers came down to get stuff. He could, have sent, he could have sent train after train of, of camels up there loaded with stuff. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he says, you come down here. Genesis 45.10. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near me and you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds, all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty for there are still five years of famine. He wants his family there. He doesn't want them back in the promised land. That has to make Jacob wonder. He could have, he could have worked it out different. So from Jacob's perspective, he wonders about loyalty. But Jacob says, I swear, I'll bury you back in the promised land. And immediately after, he says, I'll, that I swear I'll take you and bury you in the promised land. Here's the next passage thing that happens. Now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine as Reuben and Simeon. They shall be mine. He elevates Joseph's sons. He didn't do that. He had years to do that before. He did not do that. All of a sudden, he elevates these these two sons. Why? Because now he knows where Joseph's loyalty lies as far as his, uh, the promised land. He knows that Joseph is bound to the promised land as he has sworn to do that. Uh, it affects everything. And so in Genesis chapter 50, uh, verse 2, here's, how, here's Joseph taking care of what he said he would do. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. This is his dad. 
Forty days are required for him, for such are the days required for those who are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned him for seventy days. The Egyptians mourned. Why? Because they saw him as a great man. He was, he was the father of Joseph. And when the days of his mourning were passed, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I found favor in your eyes, please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am dying. In my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Now, therefore, please let me go and bury my father, and I will come back. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So when his dad dies, he allows the Egyptians to perform the rites that they're used to. But it finally comes down where he goes to Pharaoh and says, Listen, i got to take him back. I swore I'd take him back and bury him. And the, and the Pharaoh says, go do it. You know, we won't look at this, but it's, one of the interesting things is when he tells him to go back and bury him, the Egyptians go with him. The Egyptians take a, take a huge entourage and they go up there to bury Jacob. fact is, the people in Canaan are going, what in the world is going on here? He's buried. But it makes a little bit of note. It says... But they didn't take their kids and their livestock. Does that mean anything to you? Because there's going to be, when the plagues come, the other pharaoh's going to say, you can go out, but don't take your kids, don't take your livestock. If you don't think that these two uh, pharaohs are connected in some way, they are. They're connected. In, in Jewish thinking, there's, there's two things playing out. This, this pharaoh did well, and the other pharaoh is, is going to do uh, poorly. Uh, so did it work? <laughs> uh, it looks like it worked. Here's uh, the, the end of Genesis. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you, bring you out of this land to the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. Actually, it worked really well. He's very loyal to the the promise of God. Now, the question is, did this change the story? Uh, It doesn't. There's no doctrine involved in this. We don't even learn anything about God, which I think that is an application, okay? If you learn something about God, that's application. I actually give you no, there, there's nothing really here where I can say, here's the application of this other than this. These are real people. This is, this is God's story. This is his story. Uh, but he, in, in the story of God, he, 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 he involves people and they're real. And there's a tendency sometimes for me to put uh, capes on some people. Joseph might get a cape, or a Caleb, or a David gets a cape. Like super, super Christian, super believer, super faith. These guys are, are people like us. They have, the, they, have the same, they have the same desire. They have the same thinking sometimes that we have, and the same questions. I do not relate to a David that goes out against a Goliath with a, with a sling and a stone. I do not relate to him. Not in that area. But I do relate to a David that does a bad job raising his kids. I can relate to a David like that. I can relate to a David that says, Absalom, Absalom, 
If only I had died instead of you. I can, I can understand that. These are real people. These are real people. And, and the more you realize that, and the more you personify these people and realize, these aren't, they, they had, they weren't, they aren't good or bad. Uh, they, they all had, they all had their, their flaws. And, and God interacts with these people and he, as he interacts with us. And they aren't just words on a page. They're, it's reality. It's his story and real people. And if you can remember that, maybe, maybe that's, that's something you can take away. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And uh, Lord, you, you give us insights and you give us the, uh, a little peeks into the, the, the personality and the, and the questions that, that these, uh, these people that, that are, have stories about them. They're, just, they're not just words on a page. They lived and uh, they, they had struggles just like we have struggles. Uh, but they have a God and just like we have a God. And uh, Lord, I, I pray that this would help us understand that, that the Bible is alive. It's a living book. And we look at it like a living book. And we treat it like a living book. Help us, help us to, whenever possible, to, to try to understand the, the culture that they're in. Uh, they're not in an individualistic society. They're in a, they're in a tribal society. Uh, they live for the, many of them live for the tribe and the best for the tribe. That's hard for us to, to understand in, in our kind of self-driven uh, society. Help us to try to bridge uh, that thinking. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for our time together. And we ask that you just bless us today. In Jesus' name, amen.